Welcome to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. This is a podcast where we talk all things culture, leadership and teamwork across business and sport. Hello everybody, I'm Brendan Rogers, the host of the Culture of Things podcast and this is episode 15. Today I'm talking with Adam Crouch. Adam is the New South Wales Liberal State Government Member for Terrigal. He's also the Government Whip, Parliamentary Secretary for the Central Coast and Deputy Chair for the Standing Committee of Parliamentary Privilege and Ethics. Crouchy, as he is affectionately known, is an unbelievably hard-working leader in the Central Coast community. I doubt there's a street he hasn't walked, a house he hasn't visited or a community group that he hasn't engaged with at some point in time across his electorate and the broader Central Coast. I definitely haven't asked Adam to come on and talk politics, but I do want to focus our conversation today on leadership in public office. Crouchy, welcome to the Culture of Things podcast. Wow, that was an amazing introduction, Brendan. I got to say that um, I was impressed. I'd vote. I'm sorry, we can't talk about politics. I said I could vote for me after that sort of intro. That was great. Thank you very much. And look, it's a pleasure to be here. Mate, thank you for taking up the time. A question that I know my listeners will want to ask because I get this, I get asked this sometimes is, you know, you're affectionately known as Crouchy. Mm-hmm. Yep. When are you grouchy? Oh, look, I've got to say, I'm uh, very rarely am I grouchy, I've got to say. And look, uh, the, the, the Crouchy thing came from the Premier. So um, she's always called me Crouchy from day one. It's sort of stuck. And, um, and she does it publicly as well. So it's not just private. So we'll be out and she just automatically calls me Crouchy. And uh, to the point where sometimes I'm not sure everyone knows my first name's actually Adam. But um, no, look, it's, it's stuck. And look, I'm, I'm, pl- I'm proud that people realise I'm just a normal person. I put my pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. Um, yeah, and Crouchy's fine. And look, it's, it's great to be out with people when you're out in the community and people feel relaxed enough to say, oh, how's it going, Crouchy? What's happening? Um, it makes people feel more comfortable, I suppose, that I'm just a normal human being. Uh, but again, it's the Premier's fault. So yeah, Gladys calls me Crouchy all the time. She's done it in, She's actually done it in question time during Parliament, which was a bit confronting because everyone's sort of looking and going, hey, Crouchy, how's it going? You know, But yeah, no, it's, it's all about keeping it real. Mm. And that's what politics, I think... I think politicians need to have that reality check and, and to keep it real. And my evidence of that today is the uh, it's a Friday morning, the 26th of June, just yep. to date stamp this, and you've kindly worn a Liverpool football club scarf for me because we've taken the championship today the first time in 30 years. Look, I was going to say, 30 years is an amazing uh, amazing lead up to a win. So the least I could do was don this. The only time I'd ever wear red, let me tell you, as a as a liberal person, is is for some is for a friend. So, look, very happy to don the red scarf for you, um, and happy to take the photo. And well done to the, all those poor suffering Liverpool fans who've had thirty years in the making for this, but I'm sure they're all celebrating at the moment. We've had to wait a while, mate. So, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate. It. Right, let's get into our into yep. our topic. Sure. What I just want you to explain, because I'm sure there's a lot of listeners listeners out there, and, and to be honest, me included. You know, when you talk about your role as a member, what does that involve? But also, I want you to talk about your role as a pa- parliamentary secretary for the Central Coast, because they they are leadership roles. Yep. What are those roles about? Yeah, look, it's it's an interesting job. I mean, look, as we were talking a little earlier before we came on air, I don't think people plan to get into politics. It's something that they make a decision about, they're passionate about, um, they want to speak for others. And and I think as I was growing up, I always was never afraid to take a step forward, whether it be in the sport. I was a swimmer, so I was a, the captain of my swimming team, I was an, and student representative roles. And 
So I think from an early age, some people want to help others. It certainly isn't about power or money or influence. It's about what you can do to actually help people, whether it be at a local level as a member, uh, on a broader level as the parliamentary secretary. Uh, The parliamentary secretary's position effectively means that um, the Premier has said to me, I want you to keep an eye on all things Central Coast for me. Um, There are four um, seats on the Central Coast, obviously Gosford, Wyong, the entrance and, and Terrigal, of course. And so my job is to oversee that the government's projects and the government's policies and the government's initiatives are all being delivered um, right across the Central Coast. So it's, it's a big job. So in addition to my, my job as being the member for Terrigal, which is the greatest privilege you can ever have, uh, is to represent others. And, and so it's two-pronged. I've got to make sure that my constituents and my people are getting delivered what we've promised to them. And on a broader level, all the other areas across the coast. And, you know, the government's it, – it's a big job because we've made some massive commitments across the central coast, you know, billion, over a billion dollars worth of roads, the, the delivery of our hospitals. Uh, my wife's a nurse. And, uh, you know, to see the delivery of, of great health care on the central coast is so important because the region's growing. It's growing very quickly. It's one of the fastest-growing regions in New South Wales. In addition to that, we've projected about another 90,000 people living here in the next 20 years. So all of this infrastructure has got to be delivered, whether it be schools, roads, hospitals, additional police, additional nurses, additional doctors, additional teachers. All that stuff has to be planned for in advance. And it's my job to make sure that all those things are being ticked off. So I I obviously talk to the Premier uh, regularly, very regularly actually. I think most people don't realise she's very hands-on, which is a good leadership quality. She's not... She wouldn't ask somebody to do something she wouldn't do herself. And I, I have the same opinion, I suppose, that I wouldn't ask anybody to do something for me unless I was prepared to step up and do it or have already done it once before. But it's about being accessible, people realising they can talk to you about whatever their issues might be. You can't solve every problem. It's like business. I mean, politics and being a parliamentarian, it is a business. And the business is people and looking after them, delivering the, pro- the products, um, which are things, roads, hospitals, etc. So it's a, it's a really interesting job. It can be frustrating because you want to solve everyone's problems, but you can't always do it. But what you can do is hopefully steer them in the right direction to get the best possible outcome for what they're trying to achieve and, and stay focused. It's, as I said, it's a job like no other. And uh, by way of background, um, I was elected in 2015 and um, I will still never, ever forget that Saturday when I was elected. It, is, it was probably the said the most humbling moment of my entire life to know that the majority of people of the 55,000 odd voters said we want you to be our voice and I think every like any good person once you need to know a where your limits are you need to know when you've done the job you wanted to do Um, you need to be able to be confident that you are doing the right thing you don't get it right all the time but you've got to be confident to take the step forward and say I'm going to fight for this I'll never forget walking back from Terrigal Public School and I was walking, I actually had my father-in-law with me at the time who I dumped on a polling booth for the day <laughs> and uh, we were walking back and I stopped and there's a point at Terrigal where there's some public seating and it looks back across Wombrel Foresters and it's probably one of the most spectacular views and I just, that, you sit there and you take it in and you realise that as far as you look there are people there and they're saying, yeah, that's the guy who want to be our voice and it's a it's a great leveller and it's also really humbling and... Um, Obviously, we repeated the exercise in 2019 and I was re-elected on an increased margin, which is always reassuring because that means that the majority of people say, hey, yeah, Crouchy's actually doing a good job, we like him and we want him to keep doing it. So 
it's it's been an incredible ride. Um, it wasn't something I'd I'd always had a passion for politics and leadership and helping others. And I think it's a combination of all of those things. What were your drivers around getting into politics? And I asked that. I really want to get an idea of your mindset around that because there's so many people out there would say, are you crazy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look, my mum was the first one who said, are you nuts? Um, I remember ringing her when I decided to put my hand up for pre-selection for Terrigal. And uh, I had a very, very, very solid job working in the printing industry and I'd been in there for 23 years. But it was a, it was time. I mean, I, you know, you can earn a lot of money but not have any job satisfaction. You know, here you, you get the most amazing level of job satisfaction. It is, it, it's nothing like it. And I'd always been sort of politically driven. Like I'm a child of the – I was born in the 70s, so I grew up through, through the 80s. And, you know, that was a time when we had political leaders who were not afraid to make a decision and, and stick by it. It may have been tough calls, you know. So I talk about leaders, you know, whether it be, you know, Reagan, Thatcher, you know, Bob Hawke, um, you know, it doesn't matter which side of politics you're from, but they were conviction politicians. They'd say, you know, this is what's best for the majority of people and we're going to go with it, whether it be deregulating the dollar or, you know, with Margaret Thatcher, you know, standing up to the mining unions. Um, and I've got to say, look, self-confessed fan of Margaret Thatcher and um, I suppose, again, my tragic following of politics dates dates back to primary school and I remember we had to do a project on the person we most admired. I grew up in Adelaide. So most of the kids I went to school with, you know, it was the it was David Hooks or the Chapel Brothers and, you know, Don Bradman. And uh, yeah, mine was Margaret Thatcher. And I um I wrote I wrote to Margaret Thatcher when I was doing this project and got a letter back from number ten. Um, I'm pretty sure that 1984 was a leap year because it because of the date of the letter that came back. And I've still got the letter to this day. There were people who, as I said, weren't afraid to take on a challenge and and speak up, whether that was a tough call or not. And so I think that was the start of it. I, I, as I said, to watch people like that, and then you see the bit of that erosion around leadership, political leadership, and people making the populist decision rather than the, the tough right decision. And, you know, I, I'm very privileged. I was elected into government, which, again, is a huge privilege to do. So you can you can influence the outcomes for so many people when you're in government. And, you know, I was lucky, I, you know, Mike Baer was the Premier, uh, followed by Gladys Berejiklian. So I've had two ex- exemplary Premiers who were not afraid to step outside the comfort zone to make decisions to get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, yeah, so long story short, it was a, it was a build-up over time. Um, I, I, grew up, <laughs> I grew up with a family full of teachers, so that, that in itself was interesting because traditionally teachers don't tend to be on the Liberal side of politics. But it also made for really, really entertaining family dinners. You know, when you've got a grandfather who's a diehard Labor teacher and you've got me whose greatest hero is Margaret Thatcher, he just thought that was appalling. And I noticed you've got a copy of my maiden speech there and it's in there. And to say that our family discussions were fiery was an understatement. And I remember the first time that I bought my my then now wife to to meet my family and we had a family dinner and she just thought we were about to get into a punch-up but that's that's the thing it's all about having that respectful fiery passionate discussion about something and you know and dogmatically defending your point of view on it and people are too scared to do that these days they're too scared about offending somebody and i think that i think it's more offensive to not speak up and not take the fight not point you put your point of view you're never going to please everybody there's always going to be somebody that's going to be outraged by something and that's the hardest part with the with the rise of social media 
we've seen this sort of confected outrage. And I, I look, I do. I call it the confected outrage squad. We see it all around the country, all around the world. And I think people need to get back to basics sometimes. And you can have a really good animated argument slash discussion without walking away being offended. And I think people need to toughen up a little bit occasionally. And so I was brought up in that environment. I said, mum's a teacher, mum's sister's a teacher, both my grandparents were teachers. And and so it was it was a good, you know, those sorts of things probably don't happen as much as they should anymore. And um, so, yeah, I was really lucky. I, and, and the other thing is I had parents. I'm an only child. I had parents that never held me back. You know, mum and dad said, you can be whatever you want to be in life if you put your mind to it. So I was really lucky. I, uh, great parents. Mum and dad are awesome. You know, they live, still live in South Australia. I remember when I said when I rang them to say I was going to run, I mean, dad was just delighted. He was just so chuffed and mum was terrified. And she said, why are you giving up a great job for this? And, you know, you know people think so lowly of politicians. And, and I just said, yeah, but you can't sit on the outside and complain about the outcome if you're not prepared to have a go at it. And, and so you, go, you have a crack. And... I mean, I said in my second term now, we've delivered so much stuff and I'm so proud of that. And to be that voice, to be that person, to defend what I think is right. And, and look, you know, the public are, are, are pretty gluey mm. and, and they can smell a fake and they can smell someone that's just saying what they want to hear. And I think that's been the other key to this is, you know, don't try and con people, just be genuine. I came from a sales background and just, you know, Politics is a bit like sales to some degree. I mean, you're, you're the product, you're selling the government's wares, but never promise something you can't deliver because it's your integrity, your name at the end of it. And I've, I'm so proud of the fact that over the last almost four, five years now, I've never promised something I couldn't deliver. I've never committed to something I couldn't do. And that's where I think a lot of other parliamentarians, and I prefer the word parliamentarian to politician, I've got to say, I mean, it's such an honour to walk into a chamber and I think people need to realise that it's an honour and a privilege to walk into whether it be a federal parliamentarian or a state parliamentarian or a local government member. It's an honour and it's not something you should take lightly or be disrespectful of because people will judge you because of that. Let's go back to some of these qualities you talked about in leaders and you know that, that real conviction, yep. you know, their beliefs came through. Margaret Thatcher, you've talked about yet. Yeah, you did mention it in your maiden speech. You've yep. got that letter in your office as well. So you know, I have to say, even from my perspective, I was right into sport then, so I would have thought you were a bit strange at, at that <laughs> age as well. What is If you think about Thatcher, you've mentioned yeah. Reagan, Bob Hawke as well yep. on, on a different side of politics. Again, a fantastic Prime Minister for yeah, Australia. Absolutely. What are those things, those values or those traits in those leaders that really do it for you? Look, I, I kind of think, I think it's the honesty and the toughness of saying, yep, I know this isn't going to be the most popular decision, but it's the right decision. And we saw that globally during the 80s. You know, it was a pretty scary time in the world. So for people like Reagan and Thatcher and Hawke and others to stand up and go, no, 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 we've got to follow these things through. We've got to not squib the tough decisions. And I said, I was lucky enough to see leaders like that. And so, you know, you turn on the TV at night and the other thing is there was no social media. So, and, and look, I've had the privilege of meeting John Howard many, many times. And same thing. Here's a guy, you know, you know, Port Arthur was great case in point. You know, here's a man that said to a country, we're going to take away your automatic weapons. Now, that was probably one of the gutsiest things. And you had Tim Fisher, who again, I've also met, you know, the late Tim Fisher, an amazing leader. You know, there the two of them stood and said to this nation, we are going to take this away because it's not necessary and it's putting people in harm's way. 
And as it turns out, it was one of the best decisions this country has ever had. All of this was playing out in front of me as a younger person. I mean, obviously, I was a little bit older when, when Howard became Prime Minister. You look at John Howard. You know, here's a guy who'd been kicked that many times politically, but he kept at it, he kept at it, and he kept at it. You can bump into John Howard. He's always approachable, always amenable, always happy to have a chat, even though they're in, under huge pressure. And, and look, Gladys is the same. I mean, you know, Corona's been a really good example of strong leadership. I mean, here's a lady trying to protect 8 million people. And yet she still has time to send me a text message to check on something locally. That's what a good leader does. A good leader tries to do the best they can for everybody. And look, as she said before, you know, it was a scary time for everybody. I know she's had plenty of sleepless nights. I mean, Easter. I mean, Easter was terrifying because it takes 10 days before we know the outcome of what's happening with the virus. So you make a decision and you go, oh, we're going to find out in 10 days whether it was good or bad or horrific. And, um, and we're seeing some of that playing out in Victoria at the moment. So, you know, it is a tough call being in leadership because I said you know, there's always somebody out there that's not going to like what you do. And you've got to be prepared to wear it on the chin, accept it, uh, and move on to the next thing. And, but also hopefully learn from it. Some, some of the criticism's obviously unwarranted. Um, some of it's absolutely warranted. Let's talk about that, actually, because yep. I'd like to just get your thoughts around politics today. Yep. And... As every day goes by, it's almost like the community just loses that little bit more yeah. faith and trust yeah. in politics and politicians. Yep. And you, know, you do have to respect the roles, but what is it about politics and politicians today that you think where the disengagement is coming from the community? Social media, I think, plays a huge part in it. I mean, there's no filter on it. And it's, it can be so corrosive and so divisive. Part of being the government whip, so my job is to look after all of our MPs, and I went and met all of our new MPs to, to educate them and help them through it. And one of the things I've said to them is social media can be your greatest asset. It can also be your worst weapon to be used against you. You've got to use it judiciously, responsibly. And we've seen cases on a daily basis where that doesn't happen. And I think that is something that people need to be very mindful of. You know, With the greatest respect, social media is not democratic. Good examples. I, I see social media as your shop front. So, and this is what I've said, you know, this is, not, this is not a free-for-all. This is not a place for everyone to sling off at somebody else. And it needs to be treated respectfully by those who are using it and those who are actually reading it and consuming it. So we, we have a pretty, pretty tough position on this. You know, if you're going to hop on to one of my social media pages, and look, to be honest, I'm on two. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and that is it. We use it as a tool to put out a message. We are not going to engage in, in debate on it because... It, it's just not a, it's not the respectful and right way to do it. If someone wants to have a chat with me about something we're doing, they can come and see me or talk to me on the phone and actually have a real co- a real conversation about it. Not some diatribe at 2am because you've had a couple of drinks and you want to unload and, and attack other people. It, it's pretty gutless, I've got to say. And you can hide behind fake names. We've seen it here on the Central Coast. You get, the, as I said, the Confected Outrage Squad. We know who runs these pages. It's politically motivated in a lot of cases and pretty pathetic, I've got to say. And it tends to be, with all due respect, I don't know, it shouldn't be too political, but it tends to be a weapon of the left. Again, we see that confected outrage. And, but people are sort of, A, they're getting smarter at it now. And we've, we've seen that, but again, we've seen it playing out more where people disengage now because they're sick of seeing the constant berating of others. 
And so, and so, look, basically we put messages out on a Facebook page saying this is what we're doing, this is what we're delivering for people's information or we, or we steer them towards something. Like it might be a small business grant or it might be what's happening with the road and we want people to have their say. So we use it as a tool to tell people what's going on but it's not a platform for debate. You look at the revolving door of Prime Ministers. That never happened until we had social media. And so this is where I said social media can be a great platform to be of assistance, but it's, I think it's corroded away because it's not just a 24-hour news cycle. It, it, it's limitless because people are piling on with using social media as, as a weapon, and, and we talk about weaponising it, and it, it's not good. It's not healthy because it's cyberbullying. I mean, we, <laughs> it's interesting. You know, we talk about cyberbullying. If you ever want to see it playing out in full force, look at an MP's Facebook page or, you know, if you were to do that on a normal person's page, there'd be public outrage. And look, I remember when I got elected, Jill used to struggle with what people would say because it's usually, out of, with all due respect, it's out of ignorance and ill information and most parliamentarians work phenomenal hours, long ones, and they do it because they love the job. And she would get upset because she knows how much time we were putting into what we do. I only have someone say, oh, you only ever see him when this is happening and lots of stuff. So... And it was really tough for the partner to actually come to terms with the fact that, A, you have no private life anymore, but B, everyone's critiquing you on everything unless they've physically seen you at that thing you've never been anywhere. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's a way to have a cheap shot, but it's really hard for the partners of parliamentarians because they often see it playing out and all they want to do is jump in and defend. But the downside of that is the minute you engage with that sort of person, they've had a victory and they keep going. So what I would say to most, and that, but that's the same in business too. I mean, look, social media can be a fantastic asset, just like mainstream media, if it's used well and used for the right reason. So, and again, that's where you've got to be prepared to say, no, no, I'm not going to jump. It's, it's your shop front. Would you allow someone to stand at your shop front and yell abuse at your customers? The answer to that is no. So why would you allow people to do it on your social media? So we, we take a pretty strong stance on that. If someone wants to, you know, go off their dial, we'll say, see you later. You know, that's not what it's about. So, mm. and I think that's been that, I think that's caused part of the problem because people feel like they can literally say anything and not be held accountable for it anymore. And some of those things are just so appallingly bad. And they see parliamentarians either taking some sort of righteous view of stuff. And I, and I think that's where people have got to get back to basics. You know, you, you mentioned in the intro about, you know, <laughs> it's in a door I haven't knocked and stuff like that. And I, I'm proud of the fact that I've, door knocked thousands of homes in my electorate because when you knock on someone's door and they open it and they look you straight in the face and they suddenly realise who you are, I think most people have never met their, their MP, let alone actually had a face-to-face conversation with them. I mean, the reality is I'm no different to you. Um, I want to know what the people I represent think of what I'm doing. Is there something more I can be doing? It's about genuinely engaging with people and you, know, and you shouldn't be afraid. If you're doing a good job, you've nothing to be afraid of. Mm. And yeah, sure, there are people that are going to hate what you do. They'll just hate you because you're not their side of politics. That's their right. You know, that's, that's the joys of living in a democracy. Mm. You know, and we can have an election and no one fires a gun and, you know, we, we had that banter at polling booths. Again, sometimes it's a bit, bit on the weird side. but mm. and, and that's where I think people need to get back to. We live in a democracy. It's an amazing system. It's not perfect, but it certainly is better than plenty of others. And I think people need to realise that the majority of people who decide to want to run for parliament – do have that burning desire down to help other people. It's, and I think that's been lost. That's what we were saying before. That really has sort of been diluted because of all. I said, I think social media has a, plays a huge part in it. 
I want to go back to the point around cyberbullying and, yep. and from my understanding, that's a key part of the issues around mental health mm. related issues nowadays. Yep. So as a leader, again, yourself and, and your government colleagues, the opposition colleagues, all those people that you're interacting with, how do you guys deal with this stuff? Because there is lots of stuff that people can say on social media. Yep. And that's got to have some impact on you because you're just a normal person doing a normal job. Yep. But certainly people have these massive, I would say, unrealistic expectations around politicians. How do you deal with it? Well, look, I've got to say, when people start to, when they go into attack mode on, on me or some of my colleagues, I suppose, look, you don't read it. I'm too busy delivering what the government's promised and looking after the people in my electorate. I honestly don't read it. And people, people will say, oh, did you see what X said about you? And I went, I don't read it. I've got better things. Honestly, I've got better things to do with my time than read some cranky post that was posted by 2am that someone's, you know, had their 47th beer for the evening and decided to have a rant. I mean, I, I'm just not interested. It delivers nothing. It's not productive. And, you know, I have a finite amount of time that I have, you know, a four-year period to deliver what I have to do. That's my job. So to be truthful, I don't read it. And my best advice to my that I've given to my colleagues and to friends, just ignore it because it's it's doesn't help anything so why bother wasting time why bother wasting precious time where you can be doing things that you enjoy reading that and that's not just in a context of me being a parliamentarian i would say that to anybody i think the tough part for for young people these days is that social media is part of their fabric you know when you and i were going to school you'd go to the bus stop you catch up with your friends and it was one-on-one interaction like we're having right now now they sit at the bus stop and they're on their phones and the other thing is, you know, look, I think everybody at some point has been picked on at school. And, look, you know, I'm not particularly tall. Uh, i got to say, look, I probably copped my fair share of bullying at school. But the difference was that it was usually you and one other person or maybe a third person. It was, it was pretty confined. And, and it could be dealt with swiftly one way or the other. Now it's instantaneously shared with hundreds if not thousands of people. So it's a much broader issue because – and, again, where you and I will have this conversation – a school kid right now would be texting his five mates simultaneously doing it. And that's the difference. I mean, they're very skilled. Let me tell you, the kids these days are so good at multitasking. I'm amazed. I mean, I couldn't do it. I mean, I can only do one, I can only read one email at a time. I'm very good at doing that one email at a time, but I do one email at a time. So I can't, I don't pretend to be able to multitask. But what we've got to realise is that's their world. And so we've got to work out how we make that world safer for them. And look, I've seen some appalling things on social media written about young people. And to me, again, we just switch off. We go, no, I'm not reading that. I'm not, you know, it's like when people complain about what's on TV. Well, guess what? Change the channel. That's how we look at it. But a younger person, it is their whole world. And they have trouble disseminating about how to distance themselves from it. And you know, I think that's something we as a government and we as a society have to be very mindful of and we have to do everything we can to protect our young people from that sort of undue pressure. I mean, you know, they, they're kids. They should be able to be having fun, not worrying about the 300 people that have read something on social media about what they did at school that day. So, you know, again, I would say to any parent out there who's got a young person, you know, you've really got – don't just hand them a phone or an iPad – to keep them amused. You've got to be proactively engaged and keep an eye on what they're doing and be involved in it as much as that. It's hard to say that when you've got teenagers, but you've got to try and insert yourself into it. You know, watch what's going on because um, mental health issues are so insidious and so sneaky and 
a young person going down that path can see no alternative and we've got to make sure that we say, yeah, there's plenty of alternatives and there's better places you can be in. Um, but we've got to make sure they understand and, and, and parents have to take a role in that. that. Again, as a leadership role as a parent, you've got to step up to the plate. We're all busy, but you've got to say, my son or daughter's safety is a priority. If they're And, and you've got to look for those signs that they're disengaging and they're struggling and be very mindful of that because it's a, you know, when we were at school, you went and picked up the encyclopedia to do a project. Now they jump online and they've got, access, they've got literally unlimited access to the globe, which was you know, unheard of when we were kids. I want to talk about clarity and focus mm-hmm. because, again, as a leader and you know, a member of parliament, so leadership role in public office, there's so much going on yep. all the time. How do you get that clarity and focus around the important issues yep. that you need to support the community with? It, it is tough because everything's coming at you at once. So, again, I think that's one of the reasons I do this job well is that we, you know, I joke about the only being able to read one email at a time. But that's about setting priorities and setting an organisation. So we have a very structured office. I treat it like a business. You know, we have KPIs. You have to have order in amongst the chaos because if you don't, it just descends into the same chaos. So... We have very distinct job roles in my office. I have an amazing team of three people who, by the way, have very different age background backgrounds. You know, I've, I've got three different generations in my office who all look at things differently. I always ask for their, you know, their input into things. I think that's important too. You know, you can't do this alone because you're not necessarily right. I think anybody that walks in there and says, well, I'm the MP, I'm always right, is going to come a cropper at some point because you're only human and it's so important that you listen to the people around you we have a staff meeting usually once a week. We go through all the priorities of what we're going to do, um, whether it be social media and mainstream media, community engagement. You've got to have some structure to that because if you don't, you, you wouldn't be able to deliver the outcomes. So you bring a, I bring a business perspective, I suppose, to an unbusiness-like profession. And I've met many of my colleagues who are doing the same thing now and they're very successful at it. That's about bringing that structure and order and priorities. And, and look, sometimes you have to pivot uh, this is one of those jobs where you can have the whole day planned out and one comment from a minister at a briefing somewhere and the whole day has to change instantaneously. And and so you have to be prepared to move really quickly, if necessary, to go on a different tack. So, and again, look, I've got a great team. They're very good at what they do. And at the same time, you've got to be flexible enough to be able to move really quickly um, to deal with whatever that issue might be. Um, and that could be a natural disaster. It could be fixing a pothole. You never know. And that's the, that's the weird part about this world that we were talking about before. Every single day in this job is different and you try and bring structure to it as best you can. But again, that's about listening to the people around you. I think the other thing about parliamentarians where they've let themselves down is when they fail to start to, to listen to both the community and the people around them. You know, my best advice comes from my staff and they are just phenomenal. Three people that work so hard um, and they're so passionate about what they do and they said with all the different skill sets, they're able to bring different things to the table. So me as an MP, you need to be able to listen to them. It's the same as any other job. You know, your, your staff are your greatest asset no matter what job it is you do. So I would say that that really is the key to it. We've had some pretty scary times uh, of things that have happened both inside our control and outside our control it's it's firstly you've got to remain calm 
no matter how bad something gets, you are the public face of whatever that issue is and you've got to say, say stay calm, stay focused and be professional. No, the last thing anyone wants is to have a leader that says something crazy at a time when people need comfort. And I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen right here in New South Wales. And you just think that is not what people need to hear at the moment. You go home and you, you sort of pull the day apart when you go home. You think, oh, I could have done that differently. I could have done that differently. But you don't dwell on it. You, you learn from it. You hope you don't make the same mistake too many times. And, and look, I've seen many parliamentarians, it's a bit that old, that old joke about, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Politics is a bit like that. You've got to learn from your experiences and also watch what others do. Look, I, I'm not averse from, you know, if you can take something that someone else has done and rework it to help your people, why wouldn't you? And that's just common sense. You know, if you can find a way to deliver a great outcome even more efficiently, good result. So, yeah, look, it, it's it's a tough job because, as I said, it's every day, every, you know, it can change within an hour um, depending on what's happening around, around the state or internationally. And uh, I think Corona's brought everyone back to a bit of a level playing field too. I don't think it was something that came out of the blue no one was expecting and the whole country's had to really adjust and I've seen it here on the coast, I've seen how businesses have pivoted so quickly to ensure their survival. I think it's given everyone a bit of a reality check about what really matters and it's the same with any family that goes through a crisis. You know, when you do that, it suddenly starts bringing the real things into focus and look, I've got to say, you know, it's, it's public knowledge. My wife got diagnosed with, with breast cancer, um, metastatic breast cancer seven years ago and, and that stuff gives you real focus and real clarity because, you know, you come home and you think you have a bad day and then you look at the person that has incurable cancer and you suddenly think, yeah, my day isn't that bad and that's that stuff that, that keeps it real. Look, Jill's amazing. I mean, I'm so lucky to have someone like her in my life because, again, she gives me focus and that reality check and, you know, because occasionally you come back, you know, blowing your own trumpet and you go, there's a hey buddy moment and, and that's really good. And as I said, I'm no different to any other person. Humility is a key virtue in, as far as I'm concerned, in leadership and I yep. think it's it's pretty well known. It's probably one of those virtues that is seems to come across as least available in politicians yep. what do you do to keep your feet on the ground and to maintain some level of humility that's a really really good question it's it's the more and more responsibility you take on the less and less people are inclined to actually give you that reality check and you see that in politics you know the the more responsibility you have there are less people around you checking you i suppose checking you at the door you know you, yes minister you're a wonderful minister you know you can't do anything wrong minister and i think that the really good parliamentarians realise that they they are in the rarefied air and they've got to keep it real. And it can be something really, – I do it regularly. I mean, you know, it's just about going out for a walk, detoxing from the day, realising that you can make mistakes um, like everybody else. You are not above the law. You are not above being called out on something. And I think one of the things that's been – best for me is I always treat people the same way I expect to be treated. That really is the number one rule. You know, I would never speak – some of the way people have spoken to me, I, I look back and think, I would never have spoken to you like that, so don't do it. And and by, it works both ways. I, I can honestly say that I've very in – the, in the five years I've been an MP, I think I've only ever lost my temper probably two times, and, and I regret that. The minute you do that – and I – it's a good example. It's like we never have a fight at home or whatever else. The minute you start yelling at somebody, you've lost the argument. 
you've lost the moral high ground on whatever it is you're discussing. And that's when you've got to stop, walk away, calm down, and come back to it later on. We joke about the bear pit in New South Wales Parliament. And I think that's part of the erosion of the process too. People go in there thinking they've got to live up to the reputation of this cut and thrust, throat cutting, bear pit exercise. And that's not what it's about. It's about going in there and working for the better outcome. And I've seen it over and over again where people yell and carry on. And it happened recently with, with somebody up here on the Central Coast and you know they lost their temper and said stuff that was unparliamentary. And that's not on. You know, people expect better of you than that. You know, anybody can swear and sling off. That's, that's easy. Try and have a respectful, responsible discussion about something that you both vehemently disagree on. That's hard work. And it's a bit like marriage, you know. Staying married is hard work. You know, anybody can get a divorce, by the way. You know, you can walk out, boom, I'm out of here. But, you know, try staying married for 22 years. That's about that whole give and take and respecting the other person's decision, even if you don't agree about it. So, and I see that regularly. I know. I've sat in the Speaker's chair in Parliament and you see people walk in and just literally want to pick a fight. And I've had no problems in saying, well, keep walking and go out the other door. There's no point you being in here. And that's from our own side. And that's where you see people like Gladys. You know, I've never seen her lose her temper because she realises that the minute she does that, she's losing the argument. And, you know, you see these firebrand politicians screaming and carrying on. People don't respect that. I think you're nuts. So, so. I said, sitting down having that respectful discussion with somebody that vehemently disagrees with, that, that's hard work. But that's the true quality of a good leader. And, and again, keeping it real. I mean, I, it can be little things. I mean, my mum's great at keeping me real. She, she had no hesitation. We, we've got a local radio station up here who I used to, I, I go in and see regularly, have a chat with the guys. And, you know, mum used to listen to them every morning when I was going in and, um, and still does. And she sent a photo of me as a seven-year-old nipper in my budgie smugglers. Now, if you want a keeping real moment, that's it. And then they, the Premier was up with me doing a radio interview with them and out came the photo. You know, so there's, there's your mum reaching out from a different state helping you to keep it real. You know? So I think you've got to be able to enjoy the job. Yes, you've got to be serious. You can't take yourself too seriously because if you did, you would get swept up in the hype that is being a politician and it's not about that. That's what I'd say to anybody who wants to do. If, if anybody wants to put themselves in this weird world of politics, and let me tell you, it is strange. You need to a not take yourself too seriously. B be prepared to cop all sorts of weird abuse, and just let it. You got to let it wash over you, like any tough job. When you've got fifty five thousand people, a lot of them don't agree. So you've got to be able to work through those sorts of things. And it, it's different to being in a in a normal corporate world where everybody's, you know, the board and everybody else is working together to deliver the same outcome here. It's like half the people don't want the other outcome. So it's, it's always confrontational. It's about how you de-escalate the confrontation to deliver the best outcomes and walk away, have time with friends. Um, our, our friends are really important to us, i got to say, and look, they respect the privacy too. So look, if we go with friends, you know, it doesn't get posted on social media. It's just quiet time to reflect and just enjoy your friendship with people and have a bit of a laugh and, and you know, have a few glasses of wine and just chillax. You didn't use the word teamwork, but you mentioned working together. Yep. If we think about teamwork, teamwork ultimately is a group of people working towards a common goal. Does teamwork really have a place in politics? Can they be a real team? I always find it a bit cliche to say team. I, I think, again, even inside a political party, you've got different forces who have different opinions. And it can be over any issue. So, you know, having party room meetings can be pretty 
interesting because you've got very different perspectives even in the one side. So I think teamwork's the wrong word because usually if you're in a team, everybody in the team's all running for the same goal. In parliament and politics, it's not necessarily the case. And you see it play out all the time, again, in, in the media. You know, there'll be a leak from a party room about somebody saying X, Y and Z. So I think teamwork's the wrong description. Um, it's all about working collaboratively to try and get the best outcome. And it's an, even in political parties, there's not always uh, the concurrence of everybody working together to the same result, you know. Uh, so it's a bit more complicated. I wish it were a more team-orientated because, again, that means that everybody's effectively working to the same goal. Politics is much much tougher than that and it's a lot more negotiation involved. And, again, that's the skill set to being able to sit down with somebody within your same group who vehemently disagrees with you. And you've got to come up with a um, a happy medium. And we've had some pretty tough ones. I mean, whether it be greyhounds, abortion, you name it. I mean, we've had some really tough stuff. And you may not necessarily agree with the person sitting next to you, but you've got to respect their position on it and their opinions on it. And I think that's really vital for parliamentarians, again, to be prepared to listen to, not necessarily agree, but listen to the other opinion and take it on board and respect that person's position. When you lose respect for your colleagues, what's the public going to think of you? I know there's lots of traits that leaders need to have, but in politics particularly and the role that you do, if you had to pick one key trait that is so important to have if you want to be a good politician or go into politics, what would you say that is? It's tough because there's two that I think would sort of link in together. One, the ability to listen to everybody and two, empathy. You've got to be able to empathise with people in this job. And I almost think empathy is almost more important than the ability to listen. I mean, you've got to be – if you don't listen to people, you're not representing them. But at the same time, you've got to be – and you've also got to be empathetic to so many different perspectives on, on every issue. Um, so the two of them sort of go together. They're probably the two key issues because if you can do that, people then respect you. If you don't do that, people don't respect you. And in this job, people have to be able to respect the person that's leading them. I want to wrap it up. So yep. what is that – bit of advice or that that key learning for you over this time and particularly around the leadership space? It, it's been an incredibly steep learning curve. As I said, going from a corporate world into a political world, they're two totally different things, absolutely totally different. But at the same time, you can take the knowledge that you've learned through a corporate world and you can mould that into being a good parliamentarian. Not a day goes by where I don't feel absolutely blessed to have this job. As I said, I, I get up every day even on my worst day at work, it's still rewarding. And this is this is why it's such a privilege. And, and I think this is why a lot of parliamentarians do it for so long. They've also got to realise when everybody's got to use by date. So that's important too. I think people need to keep it real. They need to realise when it's time to hand the baton over um, because then it comes on to the next group to bring their ideas and their passion and their enthusiasm to whatever it might be. It's an incredible job. The leadership, look, I'm, I'm lucky. I said, I've got a good leader. I mean, I've got a great leader. And she's one of the best I've ever seen. But a lot of people said to me, what's the whip's job? And the whip's job's interesting. It's a bit like being the head prefect, I suppose. It's not quite as ruthless as Frank Underwood and Francis Urquhart. Um, so don't run around having people knocked off. But, um, but again, so, so effectively I play the role as being the Premier's conscience, the Premier's disciplinarian. But it's really easy to do that when you've got someone you respect. And, and again, I've got to say, in Gladys Berejiklian, and I've found a lady that I have the most amazing respect for because she – she's the real deal, you know, she's so passionate about it. And look, she could be earning millions of dollars more doing something other than what she's doing. But she's made a decision that 
of what she wants to do. And and I admire her. And here's a lady that when she started primary school couldn't speak English. So she's a really good case in point that if you focus on what you want to do and what you want to achieve, the sky's the limit. And we live in the most amazing nation in the world where a girl who's come from a background where she couldn't speak English has become the leader of the most popular state in the nation. So this is what I would say. It's like it's, it's a combination of a lot of things. And I'm, I'm so privileged to be able to work so closely with her. When you get to spend time with people like that, you try and take away and learn from them as well. I mean, you, you never stop learning through life. But when you're lucky enough to have people like that around you, you can take some of that in. And um, and she's outstanding. And, and I would say this about government. You know, when you go into government, it's a tough gig. You need to know that when you go into it. And that's what I would say to anybody that anybody wants to do this sort of role. You need to know it's going to be the toughest job you're ever going to do in life, but also probably the most rewarding. And again, I just say, look at you look at good leaders around you. And as I said earlier in this, when we started, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up in the eighties where you had some really strong leaders, and I think that's rubbed off on on me to some degree. I have a good relationship with my parliamentary colleagues. Uh, I'm firm but fair. I think that's a good description. I'm firm but fair, and I wouldn't ask any of my parliamentary colleagues to do something because when just by way of background, as we when they're in Parliament for three days, they're mine. So it's my job to make sure they do what they need to do, when they need to do it, uh, and we tell them what to do. So it's quite, a, it's quite a strong role in running. So I run effectively the people movement for the government for the three days we're in there. So it's, it's a tough gig because you've got some very strong personalities in there. So you do it, you do it well, you be firm but fair about it. People respect you for that. And again, I would never speak to someone or treat someone other than the way I would expect to be treated. And I think the Premier is the same. Anybody in that building, I mean, so you've got different sides of politics, but I'd say that 98% of them are there for exactly the same reasons that I'm there. And sometimes it, the, the frustration boils over on both sides. But I think generally, you know, everyone's made sacrifices both privately and publicly to do those sorts of things, but they do it for the right reasons. I'm not going to ask you how can people get hold of you because they just need to Google Adam Crouch and <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, the number comes up for your office and yeah. stuff. But what I just want to say is the energy that you have in your role, I've yep. seen that firsthand. I don't know where it comes from, but you're just always on. You're always happy. You're always smiling. And to me, that just says exactly what you said. You love your job yeah. and that just comes through in everything you do. So it's been a privilege and honour to, to learn a bit more about what's going on in that head of yours and that space <laughs> around leadership and teamwork. Well, I hope I've been able to answer all those questions, but I'm always happy to come back if you want to do more. You mentioned before that I'm always smiling. I mean, that's because I'm doing a job I love. And I think that's that's the other thing. You only get one shot at life. You don't get a do-over. You don't go through however many years you've got on this planet and then say, oh, geez, I hated that. I want to do something different. You're going to get one shot at it. So one thing I would say to everybody is never be afraid to to go after what you want to do because you said you only get one crack. So do something you love. And I mean, I've been so lucky. I mean, I, I literally have got the job I always effectively dreamed of doing. And again, even on my worst day, I still feel fantastic because I go home and this is what I say to my team. You can't fix every problem every day, but if you go home knowing you've done everything you possibly can that day to help whatever it is you're doing, you've done a good job. And that's what I'd say to anybody. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Crouchy, thanks for being a guest on the Culture of Things podcast, mate. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Brent. As I said in the introduction, this episode was not about politics. I wanted to bring to you a leadership perspective from someone in public office. Why was this important to me? Because parliamentarians are people, 
just like you or I. They are doing a job just like you or I. And mostly, they have a passion for helping people. It is true that the actions of parliamentarians on all sides of politics don't always support this passion. But how much does social media play in demonising them and their roles? For me, COVID-19 has shown that parliamentarians on both sides of politics at local, state and federal levels can work together when they have to for the common good of the community and show good leadership. I hope we can see more of this in the future. These were my three key takeaways from my conversation with Crouchy. My first key takeaway. Leadership is about helping others. Crouchy mentioned how politics is the business of people. In his role, his key focus is on helping people by delivering on the commitments and improvements to help the community. True leaders put other people's interests ahead of their own. My second key takeaway, leaders focus on what matters most. They are clear on the priorities and don't allow themselves to get distracted. He mentioned the weekly team meeting structure, so he and his team know what they need to do and where they are up to. Crouchy also referred to the perils of social media and the distraction it can be. He doesn't allow himself to get caught up in those social media stouches. If he does, it means he and his team are taking precious time away from delivering for the community. My third key takeaway, leaders stay grounded. Parliamentarians can get caught up in the role and struggle with humility. This is dangerous ground to play on and will lead to me decisions rather than the right decisions for the community. They make mistakes like anybody else and they're definitely not above the law. It's also important to treat people how you want to be treated. In Crouchy's words, keep it real. Otherwise your mum may pull out an old picture of you in your budgie smugglers. So in summary, my three key takeaways were Leadership is about helping others. Leaders focus on what matters most. Leaders stay grounded. If you have any questions or feedback about this episode, please feel free to send me a message at brendan at brendanrogers.com.au. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. Please visit brendanrogers.com.au to access the show notes. If you love the Culture of Things podcast, please subscribe, rate and give a review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, a healthy culture is your competitive advantage.